Jacob Kinberg, and you are listening to Salty Cinema. Uh, my guest today is Spencer Falmar. Uh, Spencer made his theatrical debut in 2017 with the film Generational Sins and caused a little bit of a stir with that film. Uh, and that film was notable for um, being the beginning of what Falmar has coined as the hard faith genre, which um, is meant to uh, a be for an audience that's hungry for hope in the midst of gritty real life stories. So that film was notable for having, uh, I think it was 30 some uses of profanity that people <laughs> uh, made a big deal about uh, because it was being kind of touted as uh, a faith film, but a hard, hard hitting faith film. So Spencer, thanks for uh, jumping on a call and talking to me. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I am. Really excited to talk to you um, and just kind of dig into how you got to this point and and what you're looking to do in the future with your your film career and where you're headed. Um, I want to start with so uh, your latest film that's going to come out uh, early 2020. Is that right? Uh, Shooting heroin. That's right. We're looking at April or May right now, and and that continues in this vein of being. Uh, it's, it's another hard faith film, right? That's right. Yeah. So shooting heroin is about a small town community that comes together to fight back against the spread of drugs by whatever means necessary. Cool. And, and this one is kind of upping the ante as far as resources and uh, it'll be a, a bigger film as far as production budget wise and everything, right? Yeah. The overall scope of the picture, I think is at least 10 X the size of generational sins. Very happy with generational sins, pleased with how it turned out. And, you know, these are still all considered low budget independent films in uh, yeah. the Hollywood industry. But yeah, generational from the, the jump from generational sins to shooting heroin was pretty significant. So do you, uh, can you tell us about how shooting heroin, how that project uh, came together and what got you interested in that? Yeah, you know, it's a uh, personal story. I grew up in rural Pennsylvania, and a lot of what's known as the Rust Belt has been ravaged by the opioid epidemic. And so when I was catching up uh, with friends from back home a couple years around the holidays, after living on the West Coast for almost a decade, I realized just how bad the opioid epidemic had become and how many, even my own high school classmates, aren't here today due to this crisis. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, this is just kind of an answer to that. Like, you know, a lot of people have uh, frustrations and um, it doesn't, for the amount of deaths that are happening, it doesn't seem like there's a lot changing, especially in the government mm -hmm. sense. So uh, this is a fictional tale about what happens when a town takes justice into their own hands. So did you, was this a story that you had, kind of had in your back pocket or just in in seeing what was going on in real life you kind of wanted to come up with something that would address it yeah you know it's inspired by true events um just kind of knowing the lay of the land and some of the characters um that i could you know loosely base my own characters off of the film really came together pretty quickly and easily i was actually in the midst of shooting another well in development late in development pre-production on another movie in las vegas nevada and uh, this film felt so pressing and such a topical issue that I switched gears, switched production, switched investments, all to shooting heroin from that Las Vegas movie because the timing felt important right now to address this issue. And who who's in the film? Um, yeah, so we got Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks. We have Kathy Morarity. She was nominated for an Oscar for Raging Bull and Patty Cakes, independent film she was recently in, um, Casper. Yeah. You got Nick Turturro from Longest Yard and Blue Bloods, just recently had a two-episode feature on SVU. Um, Alan Powell from Quantico and a pretty decent faith-based film, as yeah, faith-based films right? go. Yeah, the song. I really like that movie. Yeah, and I don't like almost any faith-based film, so <laughs> I really liked. I mean, I saw Alan in that years ago, and I was like, "Oh, there's hope." Um, but yeah. yeah, so Alan was our lead. Um, 
Rachel Hendricks from October Baby, another faith-based connection. Um, I got, you know, some other actors as well. I got Gary Pastor. He's in HBO's The Deuce. He was just in Scorsese's The Irishman. Um, hmm. Lawrence Hilton Jacobs from Welcome Back, Cotter, which was a TV show with John Travolta. And mm-hmm. Coley High, which was a, a contemporary of American Graffiti. So it was a, it was a great big cast. Brian O'Halloran from Clerks. Daniela Mason, which is a Nashville singer and gifted actress. Jordan Fitzsimmons. Um, independent nice. film director and writer in Nashville. Yeah, you, it's a couple of Nashville connections. Um, yeah, I was gonna say I don't know uh, Jordan, but I, I know someone was telling me uh, that they are friends with him. They know him. Uh, yeah, and they mentioned they mentioned he was in the film. Uh, that's awesome. So, is the I- is the idea um, to you know you name some actors that have shown up in other faith based movies. Are you trying to see if you can kind of bring in some of the same audience, even though the other other faith-based films that they've been in are, you know, very different in terms of content? Are you <laughs> yeah. are, are you trying to get uh, some crossover by using certain actors, or were those just the people you wanted? You know, honestly, going into it, it's not that wasn't a goal of mine, but it is a hope. Um, generational sins the faith-based response from the established, you know, like marketing demographic faith-based audience was pretty disappointing. And so Mm. I didn't engage almost at all with like the Christian press or the Christian gatekeepers or the Christian subculture, the Christian ghetto, as I would call them, um, with shooting heroin because it was just futile because this movie was R-rated versus Generational Sins was PG-13. And, you know, I got a lot of slack for that. But this film is more topical. There's faith in it. Uh, there's, a, there's some strong, redemptive, Christian, gritty things. And uh, I was mostly going for wide audiences shooting heroin. But it was great, you know, because I've come from the faith-based world and, you know, a lot of people I know in those circles, I end up, those are the people I always try and work with. Yeah. Um, that are friends of mine in the industry. And so the, the R rating for shooting heroin, what is the, uh, what's the MPA kind of thing that they say of why it's rated R? Um, drug use and language throughout was the particular language they chose. Okay. So a lot of language. Um, you know, Generational Sins had one uh, F-bomb and heroin has many. So just a a gritty, realistic look at the drug world, drug culture. Yeah. And so, with with that story, um, what what is the what is the faith element, or in general, like when you are thinking about the types of stories that you want to tell um, that are different from what has come before in terms of faith based things? What what would a story need to have, or what do you? what are you looking for that makes you see it as still being within uh, the faith, I guess. I hate talking about faith-based as a genre, but it, that's just, it is, it is. you know, like it people, is. people use it that way. So I, I guess I'm just curious as you're approaching stories, what do you, what do you think makes it qualify as that or coming, you know, having some kind of Christian worldview to it? Yeah. You know, I'd say the faith-based, genre is very precise. Um, one of my marketers on Generational Sins described it as a souffle. If you don't have all the ingredients or if you withhold some one of the ingredients, it's going to fall apart. Um, and so I I added an ingredient in Generational Sins with using realistic language and pretty, mm-hmm. you know, not sugarcoating or censoring the world, not making the world as I would like it to be or the Christian church in America would like it to be, but showing the world as it actually is, um, which I think is following the biblical approach to dealing with the world. Um, And so with, you know, with shooting heroin, the redemptive uh, nature of it or for hard faith going forward, you know, the first iteration of hard faith was our company named third brother films. And so that, that name had a lot of different meanings. 
Um, first up, it was I read a op-ed, I think in the New York Times, when Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, was promoting his book Prodigal God, which is the mm -hmm. best book of all time. Um, and so he was saying that in the story of the parable of the prodigal son, that there should have been a third brother who would have gone after the prodigal, who would have loved the elder outside of the party, and that third brother is Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and then another way that that tied that the company name kind of worked for me is that, you know, for hard faith films, I think that usually the way that I am trying to tell stories differently and redemptively is that there's a third way. You know, there's black and white, and then there's gray, and there's Republican, Democrat, red and blue, and then there's something in the middle. And so, mm. um, you know, I'm just trying to find a way to make people see the world in a different way, that it's not us versus them, or it's not, you know, if we can just cure this issue, then this issue will be cured. It's more that we are all part of this issue with the opioid epidemic and that we're all mm -hmm. called to be good neighbors to the addict, uh, to the drug dealer, to anyone. And that it's going to take long suffering and empathy if this is going to change for the positive. Cause right now it just gets worse by 10% every year. Mm, yeah. So being in that, that middle space, um, people have talked about, you know, though movies like what you want to make might not be able to find an audience because they're they they might be too Christian for uh, secular audiences and not yeah. Christian enough for Christian audiences. But you, you think that there, there is an audience for this. What would, what would you say to, to that? Um, and how do we, how do we develop that audience? Sure. I mean, I think in a country that overwhelmingly identifies as Christian in particular, um, and I'd say hard faith also are, are stories that are approachable to completely non-Christians. Um, mm -hmm. But in a country that identifies, you know, between 70 and 80 percent openly as Christian. And yet I think 15 percent of that would go for the faith, the faith based fanfare that we have today, um, you know, following the very strict ingredients of the souffle very conservative, very censored and very family friendly. Family friendly is one of those words that I've almost replaced faith based genre because it's just so watered down that anyone can approach it. Um, yeah, I think that that'd be another way to talk about is uh, right now in the faith based genre, they all have to be family friendly, they but have to be. making, making films that are for adults, but still have a faith element. Um, right. Exactly. Not, not necessarily family friendly. Yeah. Because, you know, most of us came to faith not because we wanted to win the football game or last to come home. We came to faith for some pretty hard-hitting, you know, dark nights of the soul. I mean, at least I did. Um, and I think that the Bible well shows the human condition. It's honest. It's um, authentic. And it doesn't hold back any punches showing the world as it actually is. I mean, there are adult stories of faith. And we're missing that entirely in today's right. offering. And there's a lot of people that need those just to see the reflective story for their own, like dealing with their own trauma and therapy. Um, and we're not offering that. The church is just completely silent in that era uh, right now. And that's yeah. unfortunate. I think also what applies to me or appeals to me about the idea of this is just from an artistic point of view, the types of films that I love and that I uh, want to make um, don't know don't <laughs> they they are those more adult stories you know like for sure I, I, I like I like some family friendly movies but in general what I really get excited about are the more uh, adult things in film you know yeah yeah I mean it's great to have different forms of entertainment um, it's just that we have no form of this gritty truly redemptive or even Christ-specific um, mm -hmm. adult films. I mean, the last example would have been Passion. Before that, it would have been maybe to end all wars. So let, let's let's go back and get uh, fill in the the gaps of how you got to where you're at now. So you you grew up in Florida, right? Well, I was born in Florida, and then at a young okay. age, 
uh, in elementary school, moved to Pennsylvania. Okay. And you went to uh, undergrad. Um, was that at Grove City? Yep. Undergrad was at Grove City College. And then I got my master's of theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. And then I got my MFA. Uh, I was an MFA candidate. I didn't complete the program. But I was an MFA candidate at NYU for film. So so when you decided to go to... So at Grove City, were you, were you already... Uh, working on films there? Yeah. You know, I made my first feature film when I was 17. Okay. So I didn't have this outlook of making hard faith films, but Grove City helped shape that worldview. So you, you made your first feature while you were in high school? I did. Yep. At the ripe age what? of so, what, 17. What, uh, <laughs> what was that film? <laughs> it was an experiment, really. You know, I made so many short films. I was making short films since, you know, Google, their first year way before, I mean, sorry, YouTube, right? Way before Google owned YouTube, I was making short films and I decided to put it all together into one feature film. So wh- why did you go to Grove City? Yeah, that's a good question. I um, had a lot of family actually that went there. It was like a, like my sister went there, my cousin went there, some distant relatives went there. And so it was always they, this familiar place. So they don't have place. a film program, right? No, just call them. But so yeah. Was I mean, the idea always to then go and get your master's after that? Yeah, do a continuing education um, past Grove City. In Grove City, I had no idea what I was getting in for. You know, for me, growing up in central Pennsylvania, almost all my friends went to Penn State. My family's a big, you know, fan of Penn State football. And my other sister went to Penn State and my parents went to Penn State. And so, but it was like 30 minutes from where I grew up. And I didn't think a party school would be a best place for my 18 year old self. <laughs> so I went to Grove City. Um, liked the small campus, liked, you know, accessibility to the professors, and was interested in some of the Christianity. More it was just familiar. And I just need, I knew I just needed to kind of earn this so, certificate and move on. So when you went, when you went to Grove City, you weren't a Christian at that point? I, no, I was not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was. You wanted passing <laughs> i was passing the christian test but um as far as like getting in and a mission but i wasn't i never even read the bible at that point like a page wow so what what can you talk a little bit about coming to faith yeah um it actually happened after grove city um so i had had a lot of faith interactions was forced to take some you know bible classes biblical revelations still ended up not reading almost any of the bible um but had a lot of faith interactions and friends that challenged me and some professors I got close with that challenged me. And I think it was setting me up to finally deal head on with faith. And so I was graduating from college and I was trying to decide what was next, you know, in my life and where to go. And all my plans were to move to Hollywood. I was going to skip college altogether and move to Los Angeles. But my parents and family said, we have to at least get a bachelor's degree. So I said, okay. And so I went to Grove City, got that done. And that degree I finished in two and a half years because I was just so ready to move out into the world and start working. Um, but I, uh, at the end of the graduation, I had a lot of friends that were saying, and uh, my sisters too, that were Christian, they were saying, well, maybe before you move out to Los Angeles, you should, you know, figure out this faith thing. And I, and I was kind of feeling that too. I was having like an early life crisis and just trying to figure out what I believed and what kind of films I wanted to tell as an artist going forward. And so I, I was, I was thinking, well, I've never read the Bible. If I'm really going to fairly judge Christianity, I at least need to read the Bible. And so I was going to go to like Europe and to a coffee shop and just read the Bible from front to back and then decide if it was a bunch of hooey or not. Um, and instead, uh, a friend of mine pointed me to a Bible school internationally in New Zealand where I could learn with other people that were trying to learn about Christianity and have some like tutelage of people who had actually read the Bible. Um, and so I went and read the Bible for the first time, really was challenging at first. The first like six weeks of Bible school, I was like, this is dumb. Like, what have I done? Like, this is... I should be in Los Angeles. And then by pretty much like the end of the sixth week, I realized, 
you know, what a selfish son of a gun I am. And, <laughs> and it was really, there was this, there was this one challenge that they had where you just, it was a 40 hour solo in the bush. You just kind of camped out in the woods and you had your Bible and a notepad and some, um, sustenance and nothing else. And, um, the verse was Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And that verse, for some reason, was such a sticking point for me. I just couldn't figure out if it was the whole purpose of my life was Christ living through me and him becoming more, me becoming less, especially my sinful self. Um, what's the point, you know, of, of living? What's the point of my existence? Why why am I here if I'm just a cog in this machine? Um, and somehow in that the 39th hour of the uh, 40 hour solo, it just kind of clicked that I realized it's better if I'm a thread in God's tapestry of redemption than being, you know, terror uh, for the fire. And that if, if I could be used as a vessel for honorable use and not dishonorable use, it would be far better than trying to, you know, worship myself. Yeah. And that was, you know, from that was age 21 and then I just turned 30. So it's been a, been a journey <laughs> wow so so after that you you decided you wanted to keep studying and go to seminary yeah i went to seminary because the bible school was very informal i just realized that i stuck my pinky toe in this ocean that i wasn't even aware of i didn't know anything i, ne I never went to church growing up at all and so wow. maybe christmas and easter you know with the grandparents or extended family but more not even mm -hmm. priester it was mostly just a christmas only um and I just didn't know anything about theology, systematics, uh, philosophy, church history. So I went to seminary just to get some kind of a foundation. And also at that point, when I became a Christian, I was not cognizant that this whole faith-based genre even existed. And so I became a Christian. I was like, this is amazing. Like, my life has changed. You know, I read the Bible. It's illuminated. Now these Bible verses are like therapy of the soul. And, you know, I'm like, all right. I've been an artist. I've been making films. I've already made two feature films at that point. Now, what kind of stories do I want to tell that like my life has changed 180? And so I looked into this faith-based genre to see what my Christian brethren have been doing since <laughs> cinema you, you were sorely, sorely disappointed. Holy hell. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> what is this heresy horse shit? You know, it was just terrible. Um, yeah. So much of it was was just so disappointing i mean most of it is really heretical like most of them are faith-based prosperity even the most famous ones are faith-based mm -hmm. prosperity you know you're a good person so you win the football game you pray harder your marriage fixes you pray harder and you know grandma doesn't die but mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with christianity and it's so it's such poor production quality and it's so um it's, su it's such propaganda driven i mean it's m much more for like political values than Christian values. So mm -hmm. it was, it was just so disappointing. And I was like, all right, well, I don't want to do that at all. Like, you know, I'd rather dig a ditch than make something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And so I went to seminary just to get a foundation. So I don't lead people astray as much as possible, try and be responsible with this extremely um, impactful medium. And yeah. then I went to NYU and I've, continued uh, uh, that education for my MFA in film um, to, so I can also, you know, speak truth excellently. was your initial um, getting getting becoming a filmmaker at, at 17 what was it that initially spurred you on into filmmaking you know, I was fortunate from a very young age I grew up in the sticks in rural Pennsylvania and my escape my entertainment the world I wanted to live in was cinema and so I went to the drive-in movie theaters I went to single screen historic theaters and I knew like from age seven that I wanted to to be a film director you know i'd seen interviews back in the day with like steven spielberg and george lucas and i i don't think i'm like a cultish cinephile like a lot of my film school affiliates are but i love 
film um, so much. I mean, I love watching movies and I think they can change people's lives. I know they've changed my life. And so I've always wanted to make films. Everything, every single thing I've done my whole life has been to tie in to my calling, which has been great. And so who are some of your, I mean, who would, who would you say are, are your biggest inspirations as far as directors go? Francis Ford Coppola is my favorite director. You know, Apocalypse Now is my favorite film. Um, you know, the Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness book adaptation through Vietnam and that tough time for America and the troops. Um, that, that movie is so surreal and so dark and so truthful. It's just very interesting. Um, so Coppola is one of my favorites. I really like Tim Burton. He never writes anything original but his adaptations are brilliant and i like how he shows the discarded members of society in a optimistic redemptive light you know from edward scissorhands to even batman in his iteration of it just showing the people the low the people in the lowly places showing giving them a fair shake um you know i like baz Luhrmann for his eccentricities and you know as far as uh moulin rouge is a great film there's some, you know, I like Chris Nolan. I like Scorsese. I like uh, Darren Aronofsky is one of my favorites. Um, some of his latest films have been so-so, but I, you know, I love um, Requiem for a Dream, and I think he's a, a talented, gifted director. Even um, Mother was okay. <laughs> it was yeah. it was trippy. <laughs> I remember watching Requiem <laughs> and Same. it was just it was like it, it blew me away it was just like I never want to watch this again but yep. I'm so glad that I watched it exactly <laughs> exactly so that was my experience with Requiem for a Dream and I I had made plenty of dumb decisions but I never did super hard drugs um because of that movie like I saw Requiem for a Dream and I was like dang I do not I can't do that because I want to <laughs> lose my arm and like yeah. everything that happens in that movie. And I kind of hope that shooting heroin in some small way in a different way is the anti-drug movie for like this next generation that's hmm. killing themselves in our generation. That's, that's wiped itself out. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, so when it comes to the things that now that you're a believer, the things that you want to make, are there, are there content limits for you? Are there things that you won't put on film? I don't have any like single roles like, and I certainly wouldn't restrict any other artists or their conscience because, you know, a, I think a sticking point for most, even as we'll call them beer drinking Christians, you know, people who would be friendly towards a more hard faith uh, genre. I would say that a lot of people have a golden rule that absolutely no nudity and I can appreciate where they're coming from for sure. Um, and I've never had any nudity in any of my films. I wouldn't outlaw it for all filmmakers or myself for future films. And it really depends on the story. Like is, is there a way to utilize sin uh, to tell a redemptive story? You know, the Puritans have an old saying that God uses sin sinlessly um, and he has to because Every single thing is affected by sin in the world, and yet he's still executing his perfect plan yeah. in the midst of this chaos. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wouldn't use nudity or language in a gratuitous way. Um, if it can ev evoke some visceral response and make viewers and audience members really feel the weight of sin, um, then I'll do it. Because you know, another byproduct that I don't think faith-based filmmakers and the genre understands whenever they make sin so trite and they censor the world is that they also make redemption and atonement seem so much less glorious because things aren't really that bad. You know, if, yeah. all, if all that God died for was to win the football game, like in all the Kendrick brother films or whatever it is, then, you know, what, that seems a little unnecessary, this brutal, bloody, crucifixion mm -hmm. just so that we could have a nicer house. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand that parallel. And also sin is so grave when you see it, it should make you uncomfortable and it should last with you how uncomfortable it is. And it should be reflective where you realize that you see yourself in that sin nature and that it's very dark and it will devour you if you don't wage war against your sin. Yeah. And yet all of that 
is completely missing from Faith Based Drama. I mean, they don't even oh, they don't they don't they don't deal with sin um, responsibly at all. Do you think they're? Uh, I, I've often said like the the idea of something being faith based should be more about the author behind it than who it's for. And obviously there are things made, you know, you're always audience. You always think about the audience and who, Mm -hmm. who are you trying to speak to? Um, And I think there's a place for people speaking to the church and there's a place for people speaking to people outside the church and different projects might do different things in that way. So um, yeah, you know, that's always been kind of my thought on, I really don't watch very many uh, Christian movies for what we've talked about uh, for those reasons, sure. for those reasons. But when I have seen a few, you know, I do see how some can be really, if, if all their purpose was to uh, edify believers, I think that's, st- that's still a worthy purpose. You know, like you can choose sure. to make a movie for that, that reason. But yeah. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I call that fattening the sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, of course, yeah. I mean, the church ladies or just family. Like, if you want to watch a movie with the whole family, these a lot of these films do serve that purpose, you know, edify the church, build up the brothers and sisters. Um, but but they're also n- just, not art. <laughs> and they're and a lot they, of times. Yeah, right. And they're also, you know, they're, they're, they're like movies for people all. who don't like movies. Like, like, like the people that watch some of they those are. movies, like they don't, they're not going to watch any, like, it's like my grandma, she will yeah. watch any Kendrick brothers movie, but she's not, she's not watching any other movies. Like it's not cause she likes film that she's going to see a Kendrick movie. Right. No, she, and you know, for her, um, maybe not your grandma in particular, but a lot of these films, how they're marketed, the Kendrick brothers films, especially, um, you know, they use the churches as their marketing vehicle and even from the pulpit, you know, the pastors will say, Oh, you know, go support the new Kendrick brothers film, like help out the, the Christian right. And, um, you know, it's almost like doing penance in the Catholic church. Like you're doing a good deed to help out this filmmaker, this, you know, who's someone who you identify as on your team, which is, it's fine. Like you should support your brothers and sisters. It's just, I wish they would get better at what we're all supporting yeah. them at. I will say, you know, I think the the church, especially in America, kind of abandoned art. And I think that there's mm-hmm. there's a resurgence now where we're coming, the church is coming back uh, in a way. Yeah. And so we're, you know, we're 50 to I 60 hope. years behind, but we're, we're on our, you know, yeah. in, in, 30 years maybe will Christians will be making really good films, but we're just like really behind I behind. <laughs> <laughs> I so agree. You know, they say that the film industry is 10 years behind the music industry. It might even be further because at least the music industry has figured out the digital evolution and film still hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, <laughs> the Christian ghetto is 20 years behind both. Right. So, yeah. you know, we're still, we're still promoting the, you know, Jesus movie on VHS tape. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about um, you. You started. You have your own uh, production company, um, but you've also you're buying theaters. You've started a film festival. Talk about these different uh, things that you're getting into. Yeah. So from generational sins and that extreme learning <laughs> curve, um, I just really got involved with the faith based industry i got involved with all the distributors spent nine months finding the right distributor only only to know that's a unicorn that doesn't exist um and just was very frustrated with how things were executed with the film that is actually has been watched by a lot of people and just has been you know from hollywood the industry and the film and the theaters and the distribution it's just a it's a tough game for anyone even if they have you know, the new Gone with the Wind, it's a, it's unfortunately, it's a really bad industry um, for business integrity. Um, and so after dealing with freestyle releasing, and they're the ones that uh, distributed God's Not Dead 1, which made like, you know, 60, almost $70 million in the box office, mm-hmm. um, they are one of the few distributors that 
don't just do faith-based entertainment. They do all entertainment and um, they have been successful in the faith-based world. Um, and so I, I went with them for generational sins and the entire process was just extremely disappointing, but it's not just uh, freestyle. You know, I go to AFM American film market every year in Santa Monica at the Lowe's hotel. And that's in November. And it's the largest film market in the world. It's like a fish market for films. They just slice and dice films and say what they're worth in different territories. Um, and it's a great event. I love it. They do a billion dollars worth of business every year. Um, but of the like 300 distributors and sales agents there, there's less than five. There's definitely single digit numbers of distributors or sales agents that will actually pay on time and accurately pay you what you're due. Um, you know, every filmmaker I've talked to that's made a couple films when they're dealing with a distributor and trying to get, um, you know, quarterly accounting, yeah. they miss, I've, I've talked to like three filmmakers in the last 24 hours and they haven't gotten a single sales report in a year. And I, you know, if it's one day past, I will email call and you know notify that they're in breach of contract to any of my distributors because that's the only way to keep them honest yeah. but the industry is so dishonest and there's so many sharks and there's so much behind the scenes dealings that i'm just disappointed that whenever a filmmaker brings a film to me and my own films um where should i take this film to like who's good and i really can't recommend anyone mm. because anyone that we can think of even like the big names like, oh, if I could only get this company um, that you would think, oh, well, you know, they'll pay out. Your life will be made. And now you're part of the Hollywood elite. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just not true. Even the big, big guys will you'll still have to sue them, audit them just to get paid what you do. Mm -hmm. So and all that, I'm creating my own distribution form with a. 10 major city theatrical plan of owning theaters for day and date releases. So that whenever I come across a filmmaker that has a good film or my own films and I discover new films through my film festival and also this unique breed of us who like hard faith films or gritty redemptive films, um, that there's some place that we can all go to have the proper theatrical exhibition and actually make some money so that these good storytellers can make more films. Because mm. this isn't a hobby. Once you start making independent feature films it's so much money and so much so difficult that you need to at least make a buck to make a living yeah and you want people to see it and you want them to see it the way that it was meant to be seen on the big screen and none of that's possible right now what about on the on the streaming side after a theatrical release yeah um so in the faith-based world pure Flix has tried streaming and it's become too cost uh too costly for them so i think they're they've really minimized their operations they still have pure flick streaming but it's it's hurting um and then all the big streamers have family-friendly offerings but nothing faith-specific um and you you know and but they'll they'll you know netflix will buy a faith-based film and distribute it and stream it um it's none of them are embracing it, but they'll offer it just to increase their subscriber base and um, diversity there. Mm -hmm. No one's no one's owning that place. And you can certainly and that's what we offer too with Veritas is that we connect you with all those streaming and TVOD and um, EST and AVOD, all that stuff we connect you with so that you can make as much money as you can possibly make so you can make another film. Um it's just that there's no one like that. Like there's no streaming giant that is supporting faith-based entertainment right now. And there won't be. But you're, but you're able to, with, with your films, get them, you know, after having a theatrical release, get them on Netflix or whatever. And that's, is that where, yeah. So, yep. All, all, the, and that's usually in a second, third or fourth window, you know, so first window theatrical exclusive or limited theatrical, with the day and date release and TVOD. Um, and then after that, that'd be the second window or first window if you're a day and date. And then, you know, you do cable sales and then you do home video and then you do like long licensing deals like Netflix. 
or Hulu. And you can do that up front. You don't have to do it in the fourth window. It's just I'm trying to make money in all the other yeah. windows quarters first. So for shooting heroin, are you self-distributing uh, that theatrically? I am. Okay. I am. I uh, I did a theatrical tour, and so we did 12 screenings so far um, in cities, mostly on the East Coast. And uh, now we're going to rev up for a nationwide release in um, probably in April, whenever it'll also be available on all the different platforms after a continued theatrical release and film festival tour. Okay. So from your experience of Generational Sins, you decided with shooting heroin, you didn't want to try to get one of the bigger distributors. I talked to everyone to see what they would offer me. Mm -hmm. You know, MGs is something of the past, a money guaranteed. Um, And if you get money guaranteed, you usually won't see another dime. Um, And so I had some offers, some, you know, sizable offers to buy out my film all rights for five to ten years. But the offers weren't big enough to cover my production budget. And so then there's no way I'm ever going to recoup to my investors, which is important to me. Um, And so I could have taken a safe bet and gotten, you know, a a sizable amount of my budget covered, but then I don't know how else I would ever get the rest of the budget. Mm. And most people don't even offer MGs. Like we didn't get any MGs for Jen Sims. So yeah, some self-distributing it and testing this theory to export this film as much as possible internally with Veritas to be sure I can do this well for other films. So where, you know, one it's always the hardest thing to getting a film made is finding the money, or at least that's, that's been my experience. Um, I know you can't talk exact numbers or anything, but I'd love to hear uh, advice um, for people trying to get funding for their first film or, how you got? How you were able to raise the funds for? You said you had made a couple of films before Generational Sins, but were those a much lower budget than Generational Sins was? Yes. So each film has grown by like ten x. Um, you know, the first the, so that seventeen year old film was very cheap, and then the second film was not as cheap, but very cheap. And so they keep they keep growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're sizable esque ish numbers um as far as raising money for your first film you know there's a lot of different ways people can do it they do crowdfunders you know we've um what's it called kickstarter and indiegogo and gofundme and those are all fine they can also like raise a fan base you know some filmmakers i know they don't rely on those platforms to raise the actual money but they use those platforms to get an invested fan base Mm -hmm. um i also used in that same kind of theory, I use what's known as a WeFunder, which is a crowdfunding investment. So it's not a donation. They actually own a piece of the movie. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like they, they did a remake of Silent Bob, Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. Um, and that was that was funded through WeFunder, for instance. Okay. Um, so there have been some bigger films, examples of them. There's an Anne Hathaway film that was, she was like controlling a, a monster um, that was like wrecking New York. Yeah. And that was a WeFunder film. So um, it's kind of fun because you get connected with legitimate, usually startup tech company investors um, into your film. So it's a great way to meet new investors. And most of my investors for heroin for my WeFunder campaign, I would say majority of them, I don't know. Like they just invested from seeing it listed. So that was fun to meet new investors. But how I've always raised money for films and for projects is by just looking at my degrees of connections, you know, my Rolodex, um, you know, we all know someone in our family, whether it be a boss or extended relative or a past coworker, or even just a, a community leader in our town, you know, the biggest you know, local bank. Um, and they all have disposable income or liquidity and they can put some money into a film and it is risky. It's a very risky business, but, you know, especially if they believe in the project, you know, if you're making an impact or a positive change in the world, <clears throat> or they want to be a producer and learn more about the film industry. Be, you know, if, did you ever have an interest in being in the movie business? Um, 
you know, it's a really unique industry and most people don't know anything about it. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors. And so by inviting people, especially people that you enjoy, um, that have some liquidity to be part of the movie industry with you can kind of be a fun adventure and hopefully a lucrative adventure. What's your, your vision for your film festival? Yeah, so it's growing. You know, last year was Central Pennsylvania uh, is before I owned any theaters. And so this year now I own two theaters, but I'm holding it at my first theater uh, outside of Pittsburgh in Grove City. And the first year I really focused on connecting filmmakers from all over the world to real sales agents and marketers uh, and distributors. So at that point, Veritas had distributed a couple pictures. We mostly focus on theatrical um, exhibition. So I can, like, if your film needs 30 screens, I can book that in a couple weeks or 10 screens in 10 major markets. Um, but, you know, a lot of films don't warrant that, don't need that, can't afford the marketing bills to really support that. And so I was trying to connect independent filmmakers from all over the world with companies that could distribute their films well. Um, and I'll still do that. You know, I have some sales agents and distribution companies coming to Veritas in April 24th to the 30th of 2020. And then I have filmmakers coming to speak, um, you know, producers, directors, writers, actors, just to connect, you know, a place that's very far away from Hollywood, Pittsburgh, Western PA, um, with the real film industry and hopefully guide up and coming filmmakers, young filmmakers, even filmmakers that don't know like the business side of the industry that no one teaches at film school. Mm -hmm. um, try and give them, you know, some advice and connect them with some good people so that they don't fall into so many traps that are present in Hollywood. That's awesome. Um, what have been some of your favorite films of 2019? It's been a good year. Um, last year wasn't great. Two years ago was great. Um, this year, I've watched a lot. I watched. I have all the screeners sitting right beside me. Um, so I'm in the you know producers guild and the directors guild, and they send me all these DVDs. And I love watching them in theaters, but I can't watch all these. So I watched Honey Boy. I thought that was quite good. I watched Jojo Rabbit. Um, some of the ones I liked the most. Oh boy, my brain. Uh, I saw Lighthouse. I thought that was horrific. I, I, I wish I had walked out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so haven't, I haven't seen it but um it it seems oh, interesting it was the trailer is beautiful but it was so terrible i just can't believe and it still has a good audience and critic review so maybe i'm crazy but man it was nuts it was so bad what what do you think of the irishman i've not seen it what i try to see it in theater <laughs> i know i know even my actors in it i tried to see it in theaters but i missed it because i was traveling with the texas theater and now it's on netflix and i hate streaming a movie like it just feels like homework and so i'm gonna i'm gonna watch it in my theater back in pittsburgh when i get there this weekend and just watch it off hours by myself so i can see it properly nice but yeah i don't know um I, everyone's seen it but i i also just haven't found the time to make that you know four-hour commitment yet um have you what, did you what see the new terrence malick no, it's sitting right beside me. I was going to watch that last night, but I didn't have it in me. And then one of my friends gave it a, a bad review. How, did you see it? No, I haven't seen it yet. I want to. Hidden Life. Yeah. Hidden Life. Peanut Butter Falcon I want to see. Um, oh, I like Joker quite a lot. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I watched that a couple times in theaters, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I know it's not the most original story, but the execution I thought was quite flawless. Yeah. Um, what else was this year? Um, there's, um, I, I, I really there? liked, um, the Steven Soderbergh iPhone movie that came out this year, High Flying Bird. Um, it's almost like a, oh, it's almost I like a play, it. but it, I, it's, it's good. Um, and then, um, I just caught up with Marriage Story, the Noah Baumbach movie. Was that good? It was, it's. It has got a lot of nominations. It has one of the most intense uh, marital arguments oh. I've ever seen on screen. Just the, I just, <laughs> oh boy, his he's just such a good writer. I I love uh, his writing. So. Yeah, what do they call it mumblecore. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he uh, kind of, you know, he's the, he was a little bit, you know, when Mumblecore was kind of coined, he was already making pretty big movies. But yeah. I guess what he does would, would kind of fit within that. My my first movie that I made back in Minnesota in 2010 was a was a mumblecore kind of movie. Yeah. But so I do they I do like work. that genre. They can work. Um, also, yesterday was cute. It's not like I'm not gonna consider it for anything, but it was fun to you know what happened if what would happen if the Beatles never existed. Yeah, that was one where I really in I really loved the first half and then and then felt like it didn't where where it went wasn't. Uh, as good. So disappointing. Yeah, it wasn't as good as what the first half was kind of promising, but overall, I, I did like it. Man, what? Well, there's a film that just came out, and I thought it was oh, Knives Out. I went to the screener with Ryan Johnson. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, that is so fun. Yeah, it was it one was of those great. fun, enjoyable films. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's great. I mean, it's, again, it's not going to win anything, but it was just so enjoyable. The the only time I've gone to Sundance was in 2005 when Brick came out. And so I've been a huge, huge fan uh-huh. of his ever since. And what did you think of The Last Jedi? Since that's his you know defining what? moment now. I like Last Jedi. I, cool. I'll defend it, but... <laughs> um, I'm down. It's it's not as terrible as people no. refuse. I mean, <laughs> they made Solo to show how terrible a Star Wars oh movie Oh my goodness. Be. It was Solo, <laughs> so, Solo, like, it's unwatchable. That was awful. I went like on opening weekend at Cinerama Dome, and it was like two people, and one of the other one of the other two people walked out. So it, it Star Wars can be worse. Yeah, I mean Jar Jar Binks. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> hey man, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I hope we can talk again soon. I really appreciate you giving yeah. me the time. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having me on, and uh, look forward to listening to more of your podcast. Appreciate All it. Right, thanks, man. I'll talk to you later.